0: We are continuing on in our study of the life and earthly ministry of Jesus. Today's sermon title is a little different. It is The Reasons Not to Follow Jesus. Now, you would think coming to a church that the the title of the sermon would be the opposite The Reasons to Follow Jesus. But I think one of the things we need to do is dispel the reasons not to follow Jesus. And then we can get down to why to follow Jesus. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 51. It says, The days were approaching for his ascension, and he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. And so most Jews who were religious Jews in that day would avoid Samarita all in itself. They would take the long way around because the Samaritans were thought to be half-breeds and they... They worshipped at a different mountain and, and all of those things. And they were pretty much hated and despised by the Jews. And so uh, generally, when you, if you were traveling from Galilee to Judea, you would take the long way around. But Jesus frequently took the way through Samaritan. As a matter of fact, uh, on a previous occasion, if you recall, Jesus met a woman at a well. And talked to her and they had a discussion about, well, where should one worship? And the woman said, well, we worship here on this mountain and you worship there in Jerusalem. And Jesus in his conversation didn't say, well, we're right. and You're wrong. You're supposed to worship where we worship. He said, God is seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not the location. It's to whom and how you worship. So, you would think with that kind of setting that they would say, okay, well, Jesus is a little different. Um, Yeah, the Jews generally despise us, but Jesus has treated us differently. We'll receive him. And in the Middle East at that time, and and supposedly even today, one of the major cultural norms was hospitality. You receive people who were traveling, and yet they breached the cultural norm because Jesus was going to Jerusalem to worship. And they disagreed with that. Now we as his disciples kind of experience the same adverse reaction to cultural norms. In our culture today, supposedly one of the major cultural norms in our society is diversity and tolerance. Unless you are a serious believer of Jesus, then you're thought to be ignorant and stupid and uneducated. Because after all, science has told us so much, and it's discarded all the biblical truths. And if you believe the Bible, there's just no hope for you. And, you're, and they're, they're allowed in our culture, even though the cultural norm is tolerance, is to be intolerant of us. And I'm going to chase this rabbit briefly because it's important. Believers have no reason to be intimidated by science. As a matter of fact, it has been Christians throughout the ages who have advanced scientific study. Many, if not most, of our prestigious colleges and universities were founded by Christians. Christians. Unfortunately, many of those colleges and universities now turn their back on Christianity. But I want to take one example. But you can look at biology. You can look at microbiology. You can look at physics. You can look at the study of subatomic particles. You can look at astronomy and astrophysics and probability and statistics, and all of those studies, science says one thing, but we as Christians have no fear. Because unfortunately, what happens is, is that scientists have a predisposed position, and they take the evidence that they see and place it in that presupposed position. If you've gone to college or high school and you've had a psychology or a a sociology class, you may have been exposed to this little drawing that has a few lines. And they ask you, what do you see? And some people will see in these few lines two old women witches looking at each other. But others will see a candlestick. You see, what you see kind of depends on what it is your preconceived notions are. And if some can see both, they say, okay, I see the, the, the two old women looking at each other. I see um, the candlestick. This was recently done on a, on a television show called uh, Brain Cheese or something. And it was different. Um, they, they showed a, some lines and asked, what did you see? And then they went back to a commercial, then they went back. Now, what I saw before anybody told me was the word liar written sideways. Nobody told me what to see. That's what I saw, liar. When they came back, they said, well, I'm sure most of you saw a portrait of a beautiful woman. And once they told me there was a portrait of a beautiful woman, I saw her. They didn't tell me, oh, You probably didn't know, because my eyesight saw a liar. I'm going to use one example why we don't have to fear science. It's called evolutionary geology. You see, scientists will tell you that the Grand Canyon, and if you've had a chance to see it, it's it's magnificent. It's beautiful. It's this large hole in the wall. Earth. It's a canyon it's miles deep. And scientists will tell you how it was caused by some water over millions and millions and millions of years. Because they have a presupposed belief that the world is billions of years old and to cut that through takes millions and millions of years. There is another place in the northwest United States, where scientists have come to an understanding and agreement that there were canyons carved out rapidly. There was a lake after that was created after the, um, the freezing point in our, in, in, in our previous history and created a lake they call Lake Missoula. They say it was larger or as large as Lake Erie. And for some reason, it it broke, the dam broke, and this water came crashing through, and all the canyons and all the uh, divides were created over a very quick period of time. Now, in both of those situations, we have to rely on the evidence and the interpretation of the evidence. But in both situations, whether it was up the creation of canyons by Lake Missoula or the creation of the Grand Canyon, I wasn't there, you weren't there, and the scientists weren't there. They take their observations and then determine what it is based on whatever. However, if you take the situation like at Lake Missoula, to the Grand Canyon, you could see that that would carve out quickly. And we believers who believe in a worldwide flood say, there's the evidence. But neither, no, none of us have seen that. So I want to give you one more piece of evidence. It's called Mount St. Helen. It blew up in 1980. I was alive then. I saw it in the news. This mountain exploded, and material came rushing down the mountain. And the first time I ever heard this word, liquid faction, it's where dirt became like water and just rushed down the mountain and carved out canyons and knocked down trees and caused trees to be made within a few years like stone. It didn't take millions of years. So if you see what happens is throughout science, if you understand who it is looking at what it is, we have no fear of science. However, I don't think this is written here for us to talk about chasing that rabbit. What I do think is this. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, I love this. These guys, James and John, are called the sons of thunder. It's because they're loud, they're boisterous, and I can see it here. Now, we see later that Jesus really changes them. Because John is the one who writes, little children you need to come to the Lord. Little, he's no longer, let's fire come down. All of a sudden they become Elijah. Let's command fire to come down and consume these guys. Which again, I find interesting because most of the time these guys don't have enough faith to believe that Jesus will get them across the storm in the sea. And yet they're ready to bring down fire. But he being Jesus turned and rebuked them. He rebuked them. Now, if in your Bible, you'll probably see a little bracket and it'll go through verse 56, this bracket through halfway. I have said this and I'll continue to see. The reason that that bracket is is that there are certain old, new. well, the older manuscripts don't have these words in them. I bring this up because one of the criticisms that people who have who aren't believers say, well, the Bible can't be trusted because it's changed. We know exactly what we know and we know exactly what it is we're not sure of because we know. there are so many various manuscripts, complete and partials, and so many writings of the early church fathers that even if we didn't have the scriptures, you could put the scriptures back together and we know that the scriptures are reliable. As I keep saying, so number one, we can trust the scriptures because we know what we know and we know what we don't know. And I always caution you, never place doctrinal decisions on little brackets. He rebukes them, and, and these verses tell what, how he rebukes them. I think it's close because Jesus had talked to one called Nicodemus, And he says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world because the world is condemned already. I came to save it. What I think Jesus is doing is saying, remember I taught you to love your enemy? Here's an opportunity to love your enemy. So we can complain that the their culture does not live up to its cultural norms, or we can simply love them because he loved them. So our response should not be, oh, let's get them back. Our response should be, love them. And so the final part of verse 56 says, and they went on to another village which again was consistent with Jesus would teach his disciples as he sends them out. He goes, I'm going to send you. Don't don't have a backpack. Don't take extra. If you go and a village, receives you stay at the first place that that you are brought into. And then when you go on to the next village. But if nobody receives you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He moves on. Verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. So here we have a volunteer. Hey Jesus, you're you're traveling around. Wherever you go, I'm there. I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, most pastors say, let's join the church now. I see that hand, brother. We're gonna, we're gonna baptize. Come right along. Notice what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds have air, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Which is very true. Jesus just was rejected from one village. And what he's telling this gentleman who volunteered, there isn't security when it comes to the physical. You don't know where you're going to be. You don't even know necessarily where your next meal is coming from. And that's a reason that many people will not follow Jesus. Because they don't feel secure in this world. Got to make sure they have enough money. They got to make sure they have enough status. They got to make sure they have the right job. Jesus says, I will promise you eternal security, but I won't necessarily promise you where your next meal comes from. But know this, the birds of the field are provided by your Father. So some people will not follow Jesus because they don't feel secure. And he said to another, follow me. So now it is Jesus who's calling and saying, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, this is an interesting delay. And we'll see what Jesus says. But he being Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, your initial reaction might be, boy, that's hard on Jesus is pretty hard. I mean, the guy lost his father. It would just be normal to go bury your father. Well, my first question is, well, why is he there with Jesus anyway? If his dad just died, what's he doing? Sometimes we may give Reasons to defer following Jesus that may seem appropriate. But what Jesus is showing is, is that this reason is not a reason, it's an excuse. As if he was so concerned about his dead father, he'd have been there with the dead father. But I'll follow you tomorrow. And so many people, when they come close and they feel the the burden of the Spirit calling them to follow Jesus, they'll say, I'll follow you tomorrow. 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 But the problem is tomorrow is never promised to anyone. And Jesus is saying, there are spiritually dead people. Allow the spiritually dead people bury their own dead, but notice what Jesus says here, he didn't say, allow the dead to bury their dead, and come follow me, notice he says this, allow the dead to bury their dead, and you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God, he didn't even say, you got to follow me to do this, he said, I'm giving you a ministry, That ministry doesn't necessarily entail you following me to Jerusalem. What it does tell you to do, to tell about the kingdom of God everywhere you go. And guess what? That's the same calling we have. To declare His kingdom everywhere we go. Now we may go to Asia. We may go to Europe. We may go to Australia, We may go Wherever. Or we may go next door. Or we may go to Northern California. Wherever it is that we happen to be going, we are to take the gospel with us. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. I I need to tell them where I'm going. Permit me first to go. And notice it's always, there is something more important to do than following Jesus. I need to let others know. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, of all of the statements, this one, to me, is the most crushing. Because we think everyone should be able to go into the kingdom of heaven. And God's, Jesus, through God, says this. If you're looking back at the past and not his work, it's not even a matter of whether you're in the kingdom or not. You're not even fit for it. Now, unfortunately, we live in the city life and we don't really see what's going on. So, and and most of us no longer mow our own grass. But if you do, I want you to do this little experiment. As you're mowing your grass, I want you to look backwards as you're pushing the lawnmower. And then when you finish the row, I want you to look back. And probably what's gonna happen is it's gonna look like this, because the way to have a straight line is to look at a forward point, and go, and the whole point of plowing crops is to give a deep enough row to plant the seed, and enough area for water and for the growth. And for furrows like this, don't work. We need to be looking ahead, not what lied behind. So you see, Jesus doesn't buy the excuse that there are things more important than the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus is the Son of God, and he is, how is it that I know the scriptures, the Old Testament testify that he's the Son of God. the father and the Spirit testified that he's the Son of God he testified he's the Son of God. the works that he did testify that he is the Son of God and the peace that resistance the thing that trumps all other reasons. He died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, which testifies that he's the son of God. And if he is the son of God, and if he has called us to follow him, then there is no reason that we can give that is adequate to not follow There is an evangelist, his name is J. John. Now, as most of you know, I give my analogies, and the analogies I do are either mine or, or, or mine, because I haven't heard anybody else use them. And so the typical analogy I use is for sin, chocolate, and broccoli. So when I hear another analogy, I try to give attribution because... What other people have to say sometimes is good. He goes, if you're walking down a, a road of life, and you're walking down this road, and you come to a fork in the road, there's the left fork, and there's the right fork. And you don't know which way to go. You're uncertain whether you should go to the left way or to the right way. And on the left fork, you see a dead man lying in the road, And the right fork, you see a living man standing in the road. Which one would you ask for directions? The world seems to ask the dead man, which is no wonder they have no clue where they're going. But Jesus is alive. Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus is here today. We even heard a little song. He walks with me and talks with me along life scenario. He has come not only to forgive our sins and not only to place us in heaven, but he has come to dwell in us and to live in us and through us. And when we don't know the way, he simply says, follow So there are plenty of reasons not to do things. And believers of all generations have found excuses. You can go back to the Old Testament. Moses was told to do things and he gave all kinds of excuses to God. Well, I don't talk well and nobody will believe me and all these things. And he gave nothing but excuses. Maybe we should be more And maybe we should ask him to treat us more like Saul of Tarsus. I almost said it. So I'm going to to say it a little different way. Maybe he should knock us off our donkey. You can substitute the other word I was going to use. Maybe he should knock us off our donkey. Blind us temporarily and say, why aren't you following me? that there ain't any excuses good enough. Because if He is the Son of God, and He is, then we should follow Him. Not tomorrow. Not after we do some valuable things. But now. I have decided. Follow Jesus. As the song says, though none go with me, still I will follow. Because he's worthy of it. Because he is the Son of God. And he has loved me like no other person. And he has prepared a future for me like no other person. And anything that I say in objection to that is just silly. It's like saying, allow me to hold this penny instead of taking billions of dollars. Allow me to live my life the way I want versus the way you created me to live. and allow me to hold on to my thing as opposed to communicating God's love to every person I come in contact with. But first, it takes a conscious decision to follow him. And unfortunately, life gets messy and we can make a decision And maybe have made a decision in the past. Oh Lord, I will follow you. Then we get off the road. Oh Lord, I will follow you. And then get off the road. No wonder so many of us like the song and the teaching of that he leaves the 99 and goes after us because we so often get off the road. Why he says we are to carry our cross daily. And every morning we need to rise up saying, I will follow him. And every afternoon we need to say, I will continue to follow him. And every evening as we lay our head down, I will continue to follow him. No turning back. And all God's people said,